Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Peyton Burton. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 141. I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton. Joining me yet again today are a pair of my teammates, Peyton Burton, Phil Dexter. What are you, What is up, fellas, on this kind of nice Sunday afternoon, morning? Yeah, I'll tell you what. It feels, damn, it feels pretty damn good out. You know, past couple of days, yesterday felt good out. The day before, it was like cold as balls. It was like... 30 degrees out, it felt like, but, uh, you know, I'm doing good, and I'll tell you what, I know it's only, I had to, look, I had to re-look at my calendar real quick, because I didn't know if it was already in March, because I felt like yesterday, it felt like a lot like March, I've seen like five buzzer beaters yesterday, um, some big time games, some upsets to happen, and uh, I can't wait to get into it, Phil, what is going on, my man? What's going on, guys? Glad the uh, weather's good there in Indiana for you because it is not great here in Raleigh. We're it's not definitely not as cold as what you guys probably are used to dealing with, but it's kind of a cold, gloomy day. So nice day to be uh, on chat and hoops. And yeah, Peyton, you mentioned it yesterday was arguably the the best day we've had all season. Just crazy action entirely throughout the day. I mean, even the, the ten o'clock slate had three great games. Even so, it was just an absolutely loaded day. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we we are so close to March. We're only a couple days away, but as Peyton mentioned, it felt like March yesterday. We're we're gonna get all the buzzer beaters, the crazy games, uh, just all of it. But it was a great day of college hoops. We can't wait to go back over with you guys. But as always, before we do anything else, gotta let you know that this podcast is presented in part with the House of College Hoops and House Enterprise. Go to our site house-enterprise.com for more information. And as always, got to give a little love to ECB's title sponsor this year, Beauty to Beast Nutrition, located in downtown Edinburgh, Indiana. You guys know the deal. It's a healthy juice bar. You stop in, tell them ECB sent you. It is 10% off your entire purchase. Speaking of yesterday and as we get closer to March, before we get in those games, got a couple things we need to talk about. You go back to episode 140, Peyton and I talked about the developing Brandon Miller situation uh, you, you guys heard our thoughts on it. Phil wasn't able to join us Thursday. We're going to get his thoughts on the whole deal. Now that there is another layer added to this controversy, if you don't know what we're talking about, yesterday Alabama plays host to Arkansas in a big-time SEC game. They've done this uh, pregame ritual every game, but the optics of it now look bad because Brandon Miller when he's getting introduced comes to the end of the line like everybody does and he has a walk on pat him down again they've done it every game this year but you got to show some awareness Phil that you're under a microscope even more now with a potential involvement in a murder of a young lady Jamia Harris and then you're getting pat down that's one do you really have to do that like can you not have some common sense and like all right we're gonna shell that Let's just do some handshake or chest bump or something. I mean, it's just, I, I feel like common sense has been lacking around this whole situation. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels a little bit like common sense has been lacking just around the entire program from Nate Oates on down. And you mentioned it, they, they've been doing this all season, but you have to have some situ situational awareness here and realize that 
with the uh, with the controversy and microscope that you're under, that it's just it's not the best look. You know, they're already getting some heat for not sitting him and stuff to begin with. So then to just sort of, you know, most people don't know that he's been doing that all year. So even though he has like people who see it for the first time, a think he's just like kind of spitting in the face of not getting suspended. And then B, like I said, you just have to have some situational awareness. Yeah, no, it, it's not a good look. And the Alabama fans going to the end of the earth to defend it, which part of it's admirable. You want to stick up for your guy, but man, at least have some common sense. Like Peyton and I discussed on Thursday. Can you not at least say, okay, he's innocent because he's not been proven guilty or charged with anything, which is fine. But can you not say, man, this is not a good look. I wish it didn't happen. Uh, they got to stop doing this. Like, there's people that are defending this and like arguing and clapping back at people who's called this out. Like, oh, he's done it all year. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Do you well, not understand the optics of it? Well, and Josh, you mentioned it. All that I would like to hear from Alabama fans is, hey, he's not shown the best decision making. A, in in the situation with Jameer Harris's murder, and B, even just with this. Like, at the you mentioned, he's innocent right now. He hasn't been charged with anything. I'm not going to say he didn't, you know, necessarily do anything wrong because he was involved. But, like, the guy has clearly shown a lack of judgment, at the very least. And if you can't acknowledge that, you're just being biased. 100%. And Peyton Nate Oates came out. He was asked about it in the postgame presser yesterday. And I believe him when he says, because you and I talked about this off air, I believe him when he says he doesn't know what they do because I've been in that coaching seat before. As a head coach, as an assistant coach, you're not watching your guys do their pregame dances and handshakes and all that. You're getting focused, last-minute adjustments, drawing something up on the playboard. So I do believe him when he says, I have no idea what they're doing. But he also said that, that is unacceptable, and basically that shit will not happen going forward. Peyton, kind of your thoughts on this after what we just talked about on Thursday. It may be true that he didn't know, he doesn't really pay attention to like the layup lines or like anything like pregame stuff that his uh, team does, pregame rituals. They might, that might be true, but guess what? If he doesn't know, someone else does. Assistant coaches might know. Um Thank Thank you, Peyton. Needs, That's he, real quick. That's I, I wanted to jump in and say that afterwards. Somebody on that staff between an assistant or a graduate assistant or whoever do, knows exactly what they do in those layup Do lines. you know what he needs? He needs a PR guy to help out with the situation because this is a PR nightmare. I mean, some of his coaches have been not very – I mean, it's not – I mean, it is quotable, but it hasn't been great on his part. He just – he keeps digging this um, – I don't know. I don't really know what to say about the situation. It sucks. I hate it. Uh, a young person lost their life because of this, and um, uh, it's a tough situation. I don't know, but I think he needs to do a better job. I blame the adults in the room for this handling the situation. There's no leadership whatsoever. Um, but like I, like I mentioned, I mean, if he doesn't know, which may be true because you are the head coach, you're focusing more about the game than you are like what your players are doing in pregame, um, pregame rituals. But if he doesn't know, someone else does. One of the assistants knows. Someone else knows. He needs some That's type of PR point. guy. I don't understand it, though. Tough situation. Yeah, and I just – he just has to take some responsibility of the situation. Every single comment he's made is like, oh, I don't have any control over this. I don't, and like Peyton said, he probably doesn't watch the layup line. But college teams 
have film of every single second of every practice, every game. Like there is somebody on his staff who knows exactly what's being done in those layup lines. And it, it's their lack of judgment to not speak up and say, hey, Nate, like maybe we should talk to Brandon about doing this or whatever. But he has to take some responsibility. It's his staff. It's his players. It's his program. Like he can't just keep saying, throwing his hands up in the air and being like, oh, I don't know what's going on. Well, no, that's a great point. And to round it out too, we've seen like John Calipari, Rick Pitino. I've literally seen in footage from their times at Kentucky, which Cal's still there, Pitino at Louisville and beyond other major coaches do this and have done this where at the beginning of the year, they bring in like Peyton mentioned, like a PR person and they bring in a person who talks financial literacy, especially for the guys who are about to go pro. They, they bring in these specialists who talk with these young men about making the right decisions well, about it, when you're a star player. Yes, you are a college kid and yes, you can go to these clubs, but should you like during the middle of the season, should you, should you be doing this? Like you got to think, and I don't know if Alabama has somebody like that or if they brought somebody in, but now's probably the right time to bring somebody in that talks to them about like, know your decision-making, know where you're supposed to be and know your role inside this university and community. Well, before we move on, second second thought on that is a point you just made. Um, I was listening to John Henson yesterday on Field of 68, and uh, he talked about it. His time at North Carolina, and at the time, he even admitted, like, he didn't think it was the smartest idea. Like, he thought it was the dumbest thing ever. But they used to do media training, like PR type of training, when he was at North Carolina. And at the time, he thought it was dumb. And now, like, when he uh, explained it yesterday, like, he understands why that Roy Williams made them do that. Because if, in case a situation like this transpires, you know how to handle it like a true adult. Um, but that's one, all I one of my that. favorite things on YouTube since he got to Colorado is watching coach prime, basically daily YouTube videos. And he has at Jackson state, he had PR guys explain to his dude, go through interview practices, explain stuff. And he's doing it at Colorado and you get a real good look of what goes in that training. Again, I don't know if Nate Oates in Alabama has done that or has that, but now's the time because you can't have your guys and even yourself come out looking this bad and again we are not indicting uh, Brandon Miller because there's no charges against him but we are saying it is a bad look and you have to use common sense especially when you are a potential top five player in this year's NBA draft let's move on oh we had a comment from our guy Connor Connor's in all the shows we appreciate he mentions I was a team manager in high school and was always in the know what the guys were doing rather that rather that be the school wise or practice game wise, because it was one of my responsibilities. And yeah, and that's in high school. So back to Peyton and Phil's point. I mean, if they're doing it in high schools in Ohio, you know that they've got people in Alabama doing it, but let's just hope that this thing finally moves on and people in the program and around college basketball have learned a lesson here. Um, unfortunate, but let's hope we don't have to talk about this no more. Let's move on to another piece of news real quick. Earlier this week, Ole Miss parted ways with Kermit Davis. The Rebels were not having a good year. We had predicted them to be more of the middle-of-the-pack SEC. Didn't know if they'd be a tournament team, but thought that they could at least be an NIT team. That has went south. They've got the dudes on the team to at least be better than what they are. Ole Miss gets out in front of this, fires Kermit Davis with uh, 10 days left to go in the regular season when they let him go. What do you guys think about this? You hear all sorts of potential replacements. Three of the guys I keep hearing at the top of the list, it seems like Rick Patino. I hear Chris Beard, 
And somehow his name keeps getting bandied about, but would Ole Miss actually hire Will Wade? Uh, so those are the names I've heard, and I don't think that Rick Pitino is moving to Oxford, Mississippi. I, I just don't think that there's any chance of that happening. I think he's going to stick it out somewhere on the East Coast. I think the Chris Beard thing is interesting. Could, wait, you, can't, and you, you, couldn't I, see, you couldn't see Rick Pitino at the Grove? I couldn't. I mean, he's he's obviously he's coached at Lexington. He's coached at Louisville. He's coached in you know some places that aren't big East Coast cities. But I think at this point in his career, in his life, I think he's trying to stick closer in that in Atlantic region. Um, not saying it it's you know not going to happen. Just would sh- surprise the shit out of me. But like I said, Chris Beard is definitely come up. But the Will Wade thing from people that I've been hearing talk about it is more (laughs) he has an army of assistants and stuff like that around the game and people are kind of putting his name in the conversation when maybe he's actually not being considered uh Will Wade Peyton Ole Miss's new head coach potential what do you think about that I mean I think he's a good coach I mean I've always said that I think he's a good coach he's one of the best uh, young coaches in the game right now just that whole like cheating scandal. I mean, it took way too long for LSU to finally get rid of his ass. Like I remember every damn year of our podcast, every time I mentioned LSU, the first thing I talk about is how Will Wade should not be coaching right now at LSU. It's the first thing I always said. And then he finally got fired. Is this? I do think he's gonna get into the college game here soon. I don't know if Oxford, Mississippi, is the right spot for him. Maybe it is. Go back to the SEC um, where he was at LSU. Um, won a SEC title there when he was at LSU. Um, it's an interesting fit. Chris Beard, that whole situation, I don't know if he comes back that soon, uh, especially going to another Power 6 conference school like the like Ole Miss is. I don't know how that's going to work. Wick Patino's interesting, but even then, I don't know if he wants to go down to Mississippi. Um, I don't know. Those three names are very interesting and intriguing. I don't know if all, I don't know if any of them get hired, though. Hey, let's be honest. They all three have their baggage. But so does Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, and that's kind of worked out. We've seen Ole Miss take chances, and all three are fantastic head coaches, and they would be absolute home run hires for Ole Miss program. And all three of them would have Ole Miss within two or three seasons, especially with the transfer portal. They, I don't know if they would be better than the Kentuckys and Arkansas and Alabamas, but I think they would be like that next tier with any of those three. And I think the more likely of the three would be Chris Beard. Because we mentioned, or we we mentioned it that it was a week or two ago. He, you know, basically the charges were dropped. Nothing's against him now. Um, optics wise, again, maybe not the greatest look, but Chris Beard would fit in well at Oxford. That's kind of his pace of uh, pace of things. And either of those three, despite all the baggage, would have Ole Miss back in the conversation pretty quickly. Um, real quick thoughts on. Ole Miss saying, all right, we're not going to wait till the end of the year. We're going to let Kermit Davis go now so we can get a head start on maybe our top targets, maybe one of those three guys or maybe somebody else they really want. Um, Thoughts on letting a head coach go with 10 days left in the regular season? The fact that they did let him go with 10 days to go in the regular season tells me that maybe they're keying on somebody outside of Chris Beard, Will Wade, and Rick Pitino, because I think they could have waited. I mean, Pitino's highly sought after, but the other two I don't think are, so they could have waited if those were their two guys. A guy to watch for me is Dusty May. I mean, you know, Lane Kiffin made the jump from FAU to Ole Miss. Do they do they dip back? 
down to FAU. I mean, Dusty May would play an exciting brand of basketball in the SEC. I think he'd be able to recruit pretty well. I think that's an interesting name to watch. Well, and that fits Ole Miss's pace of things because, again, they're not Kentucky, Alabama, Arkansas, where they're going to get a home run higher, more than likely. But this, for them, would be one of the best options in that next tier, like that middle tier or whatever, an up-and-coming guy who's done it at a mid-major program in a, a very good conference in the Conference USA. He would be good, plus you could get him relatively cheap because you know all the other three guys are going to cost you a lot. You get him relatively cheap, you know, uh, low risk, high reward potential. I like the Dusty Mayne. Hell, remember I floated his name out for Notre Dame. So if he's good enough for Notre Dame, and he's I good enough for Ole I Miss. still think he's interesting to watch there as well. Yeah, I think we Notre Dame with the news coming says, out that they're not. Oh, go ahead, Josh. Oh, I was going to say, we had the Facebook comment here that says uh, Grant McCasland from North Texas as a potential fit for Ole Miss. I think that's a good one as well. Again, in a mid-major conference that's shown ability to win ballgames. And if Porter Moser were to make the jump to Notre Dame, which has been rumored, you know, he's denied it, but it's being too far widely reported that he's interested for it to not be true, in my opinion. Um, I think Grant McCaslin would be considered for Oklahoma as well. I think he uh, was second in line to getting that job behind Porter Moser the last time. So, Listen, all I'm going to say on this, if Rick Pitino hypothetically goes to Mississippi and he takes them to a Final Four, there's a real argument to be made that Coach K is not the GOAT. No, I, I completely – and you know what? And we'll move on, and I've said this for years, and I know there's some bias to it. Patino never leaves in 97 for the Celtics, and he stays that course at Kentucky for like another 7, 10 years. The Cats probably have more titles. They definitely get the one in 98, but they probably have more, and I think we're in the argument anyways, Patino over K or at least neck and neck. That's another just topic for a summer show that we'll get into. But, uh, yeah, some interesting stuff. But you know what was interesting? We talked about it a little bit ago at the top of the show. Yesterday felt like March. And let's start with maybe the game of the year in college basketball. Iowa hosted Michigan State. Both teams in the middle part of the Big Ten battling for seeding in the Big Ten Conference and also battling for basically the same seed line in the NCAA tournament coming up. What a damn game. Let's skip to the end of it. Michigan State is up 10 with like 40 seconds to go. And all Iowa does is go six of nine from three-point line to send this thing to overtime. 101-101 into overtime where Iowa comes out victorious. 112-106. The stats are insane. Michigan State 11 of 15 from the three-point line. Iowa, 17-36. These teams lit the nets up. Not a whole lot of defense, which is usual in the Big Ten. Well, I mean, meaning defense is the stronghold of the Big Ten is what I should say. Both these teams threw that out the window, went NBA style, making shots, making plays. Who do we praise more? Or who do we talk about more in this situation? Do we praise Iowa's grit and determination for coming back down 10 with 40 seconds to go to force overtime and ultimately win? Or did we feel for Michigan State, who played a really good game that just could not make the stops when needed? What do we talk about? Because this might have been the game of the year. 
It definitely could have been. I mean, watching the this, especially like the last two minutes of the game, was incredible. Just like you mentioned, Iowa was down ninety-one to seventy-eight with a minute and thirty-four remaining, and they was down 10, 95, uh, 94 to eighty-four with a minute left, and they hit like six of their nine three-pointers, including four in a row in the last thirty-two seconds to tie the game and send it to overtime. I mean, the most impressive of this all, like if they did this shit against any other team, um. It would have been so impressive, but I wouldn't be highly talked about because he they did this shit to Tom Izzo. This stuff normally don't happen to Tom Izzo, and he even mentioned at the end of the game in his press conference, like, this one's on me. Like, this was poor coaching on my part. Um, I gave this one up, and they got hot from three, and they ended up getting the job done, even in overtime. This is a game that Michigan State, even if it went to overtime, they probably should have pulled this one out. But hats off to Iowa, man. What a win and what a comeback, Phil. Absolutely. And credit to Tony Perkins, who finishes with the last six points of the game for Iowa to close it out in overtime. Um, pretty amazing. You know, you guys mentioned it down 13 points with a minute 34 to go catch fire from three. But then in overtime, didn't attempt a single three when they take this victory. So they just start pounding the ball inside between Perkins and uh, Chris Murray and a uh, ton of credit to Iowa. Do want to call out one little thing. Fran McCaffrey's a dick. I don't know if you guys seen yeah, that, I that seen stare it. I down or whatever the fuck that was with the referee. There is no way he doesn't get teed up for that. I mean, who the fuck? If like, if that's Jaw, if that's Jawan Howard, are we saying he doesn't get a tee? There's no way. Josh, you muted. a one-time deal we could oh, still muted. uh i hate him there a little bit oh can you guys hear me now yeah yeah go ahead go you're good now. okay okay sorry um i was gonna say that if this was a one-time deal from fran we could kind of look past it but he does this every other game stuff like this losing his mind on the officials doing the stare down saying dumb shit blow by handshakes phil you're absolutely right if this was juan howard he would have been teed and probably tossed like Fran is an asshole, but back to the game. Well, and if it was a player, like we've seen Coleman Hawkins, you bitched about it. Like Coleman Hawkins dunks and gets too excited and they tee him up. But yeah. you can stare down the ref for a fucking minute and not get a tee. Like that's hey, bullshit. Hey, how about the ref too? Not backing down. <laughs> he stepped oh, up right. He, he stepped, stepped up right towards him. Right. <laughs> I loved up. it. He's like, what's up, B? <laughs> He's like, I wish uh, I wish you would. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that was funny. But, man, what a game, though. Like I said, maybe the game of the year in college basketball. Tyson Walker continues his hot play. 31 points, 9 to 12 from the floor, 2 of 3 from three-point line. Joey Hauser, 4 of 4 from the three-point line for 18 points. I know Mission State lost this game. Like, I know it. It gave them their eighth conference loss, 11th overall. But I'm still walking away from this thinking Michigan State is a dangerous team come NCAA tournament time. Tyson Walker, 31 points. This kid's phenomenal. I love watching this kid play. 11-15 from the field. So he hit, He made all the sweet throws but one. Had four rebounds, five assists. Played 41 minutes. This kid's phenomenal. I love watching him play. And so is Atkins. He had 21 was, as well. Thank you. I was going to say, Jaden Atkins broke out of his shell. 21 points. He was hitting a bunch of stuff there in the first half when Iowa and them were trading buckets back in the first half. He was coming down burying threes on dudes, Phil. I'm still, again... Michigan State loses this game when they should have won. But I am not 
if anything, it raised my stock with Michigan State because we know they're gritty and they're going to defend and play you tough. But a game like this showed that if you want to run with them, they can put up numbers, and I think that makes them super dangerous come tournament time. Yeah, I still think Michigan State's very dangerous come tournament time. And this game is more about just Iowa catching fire. I don't, I don't even want to put too much stock in like Michigan State blew it because there's only so much you can do about a team just absolutely catching fire like that. But that's sort of been the story of Iowa's season, just super up and down. Their their highs have been very, very high. And then their lows, like losing to, what was it, Western Illinois or whoever, the biggest upset essentially in NCAA regular, regular season history. So, I mean – yeah, I, I don't want to put too much stock in, in this loss for Michigan State. Well, and, and to your point, too, those shots, those six threes down the final 40 seconds that they hit to send them overtime, I don't think any of them were open. They, they were contested, and those dudes were just hitting everything, basically. It, it was like playing NBA Jam, and he, he's on fire! You know what I'm saying? So, great college basketball game, fun game to watch. Both teams came out looking better in this game than – what they did before, and I still think Michigan State's very dangerous. But let's move on. That was one exciting game. Let's move on to another one out in Tucson, Arizona, fellas, because Arizona State hit a March-esque half-court shot by Desmond Cambridge to take down their rival Arizona Wildcats, 89-88. Cambridge, I mean, the, the final couple seconds of this was crazy, too. Because Arizona hits a shot to go up, and then Arizona State hits a just a little over a half quarter and buries them for the win. That thing hit nothing but net, Peyton. Desmond Cambridge comes out the hero, 19 points with the game winner. Man, man, what, what crazy action we had yesterday. Onions. That's how I describe that game Onions. right there. Half court, just nothing but net. Josh, you were in my womb. I was watching. I, I don't know what game. I was watching the end of the Baylor Texas game. game yeah, we're waiting Kansas on Kentucky game, to come on, and we were waiting on Kentucky to come on. You came in my womb when we was talking, and all of a sudden I checked Twitter, and it's just blowing up. Like, oh my god, Cam just hit a game winner, and you was like, what? Because you were just downstairs watching this, and somehow yep. you missed it, and we yep. ended up playing a lot. Dude, they went nothing but net, pretty much. Half court shot for the game winner in Arizona in two. 89 to 88 Gambridge uh Cambridge had 19 points in this game um he did have 16 then he hit that game one and made it 19 and uh, dude Arizona what do you say about Arizona because man the front court's great but their backcourt I am not a fan of their backcourt at all and I've been saying that for like the last three weeks Phil he brought it up and I think it's a good point I think it's time to raise some concerns about Arizona I know they've only got five losses and all five coming in conference play but in those losses, their backcourt has struggled, and it makes me concerned for them in the NCAA tournament when we're loaded with good guards. Like, if they play like a Baylor who's got the best backcourt or an NC State who's got a really good backcourt or somebody like that, I think Arizona's in trouble. Yeah, they're in trouble if their backcourt plays like they played, you know, today or pretty much all conference season. You know, you mentioned it, five losses all in conference, but – if they play like they played the first month and a half of the season, then, you know, they're potentially dangerous. Again, a team that the as far as the backcourt goes, the highs have been very high. But, you know, they just – they haven't got – you know, Ramey's not bad in this game, but four for ten, you can't jack ten threes. Boswell has just not been contributing as much as I think they hoped. I think that reclassification was maybe a little bit of a mistake. He clear, clearly needed the other year. Um, 
And maybe I shouldn't say mistake because the development this year may help him big time next year. But I do want to mention too, you know, Peyton said, what do we say about Arizona? We say, make your fucking free throws. Omar Ballo has a chance to hit a second free throw at the end of the game that, that makes that, you know, heave a tie and and you go one for two there. You just, you have to make free throws in clutch situations. We're going to see that in the NCAA tournament. We've seen it every year for 25, 30 years, however long all of us have been watching it. Free throws lose you games in the NCAA tournament consistently. Yeah. yeah, and Josh, it's not just missing clutch free throws. They went 23 or 34 from the free throw line. You're not winning yeah. any ball games missing 11 free throws. It's just not happening. And, and I again, in these losses, specific to the backcourt, we all remember back in November and December, like when Arizona beat Indiana, the star of the show as far as uh, the play goes was Kirk Kariza. He has 10 points in this game. And their losses, he's not scoring. He's not really contributing like he was. And if he doesn't play well, I don't know how many games in March they win because their front court's going to be good. You're going to get production more than likely at Tubelis and Omar Balo. But if Kirk Kreese is not playing well and talking shit like he does and hitting shots, I don't know how far Arizona can go. And they're going to end up being a two or three seed. So that's something to keep an eye on. Let's go to the game of the day for ECB. And go ahead. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention is if Creesa continues kind of the poor play, I would consider going Pele Larson in the starting lineup and maybe using Creesa as a sixth man type of spark because in that role, he actually could really be dangerous. I mean, a guy coming off the bench like that that can get red hot that way. I mean, that might be something to look at for them. I, I completely agree. Uh, something to wake him up too. Like, just he, he's got to get back to that level that we've seen him at if Arizona wants to hit their potential. Well, let's go to the ECB game of the day yesterday in the weekly pickums. It's the rivalry rematch. It was in West Lafayette. Purdue has been struggling. Indiana coming off the loss to Michigan State we talked about on Thursday, the emotional loss. They looked tired. They looked ragged. But last night, they did not look tired or ragged that much because the second half, they put a clinic on Purdue doing what they did, laying the blueprint. We've talked about it. Double teaming Edie, making him a weak side passer, and they were picking him off. They were getting after Purdue's guard, which has been a big concern for us here lately in the last month or so. Jalen Hood Shafino, fellas. We know how good this kid is. Played 40 minutes, 35 points in this ballgame, seven rebounds. He only had two assists, but it's hard to assist when you're scoring a bunch. Talk to me about the Hoosiers sweeping Purdue and the fact that Jalen Hood Shafino looks like a lottery pick right now. Yeah, I mean, when he's like hot, he can just completely take a game over. I mean, I don't know what he finished the first half with, but he was red hot. And I mean, we've seen him go for 20 in the first half in a couple games this year. You mentioned it, only the two assists, which is why I still think for Indiana to be at their best, they need Xavier Johnson to come back and be the guy that can get everybody else involved. But most impressive part about this game for me is that, you know, TJD doesn't play his best game and they're still able to, I don't want to say overcome it because he wasn't bad by any means. He just wasn't his typical dominant, you know, 20 points, 15 boards self. But, you know, Hood Shafino steps up, Trey Galloway steps up. They have that huge 12-0 run in the second half that really, you know, pushes Purdue at arm's length. And Indiana is a team that nobody wants to see in the tournament. I, know, I feel like that's such a cliche thing that we're going to say about 20 teams here coming up. But Indiana is legit 
the final four contender we expected them to be coming into the season. And that's without Xavier Johnson right now. They get him back into the mix. I think that, you know, they're one of probably the six or seven best teams at this exact second. Peyton, Jalen Hood-Shafino might have the best mid-range game in college basketball because of those 35 points, yeah. his 13 made field goals. I, I think at least eight or nine of those field goals, if not more, were from the mid-range pull-up. Like he was just burying Purdue in high pick and rolls, getting to a spot about the free throw line, and just burying jump shots. 40 minutes for the freshman, he was outstanding. But Phil, you also mentioned traits. He didn't score for like 30 minutes. He ends up with 10 points, eight rebounds, seven assists from the big man, playing a different role, only played 33 minutes. Peyton, if I had told you those numbers from Trace Jackson Davis and, and Indiana won, there's no way in hell you would have believed me. I think Peyton actually had to uh, step out for a minute. But well, I'll, I'll yeah, ask no, you I agree. It, that was, you know. Yeah, no, like like I had mentioned to you, if you say TJD doesn't score the entire first half even alone, like I would assume that this is probably a Purdue blowout. And and then the fact that Edie still goes for 26 and 16 as well, getting his, you know, if you just look at those two things, you would have thought that Purdue won this game. But Indiana, you know, Mike Woodson deserves a lot of credit. This is the first time Indiana's won in the last seven tries at Mackey. You know, he he's really uh, he's turning the luck in Indiana. He's he's I was very critical of that hire. I did. I thought it was a weird decision, but it turns out that they just needed to go back to the history, to the night coaching tree a little bit to get some of that magic. Well, and under other guys like Archie Miller, they, they played pretty good defense, but they could not score. Their offense was atrocious. Mike Woodson is hanging his hat on defense, but now they've got dudes who can go make plays. And I, I do want to ask you about Purdue, though. I was going to ask Peyton, but he had to step out, as you mentioned. I, I, I want to ask you about Purdue. This now makes, what, five of their last seven that they've lost? or uh, What is it real quick? One, two, three, four of their last six they've lost. It's three of dating, four for sure. Yeah, four of their last six dating yeah, three back. Three of four the, and four of six dating back to the first Indiana loss. How concerned about Purdue are we heading into the tournament? I'm, honestly, it's the same concerns I already had because I felt like as good as their young guards have been, you sort of knew that that, that play was going to come back to the mean just because freshman guards always, unless you're one of the top you know recruits in the country, you're Derek Rose, John Wall, one of those guys, they always have that month or two stretch. Where, which is just rough. I mean, you're just you're learning how to play college basketball. And other than that, they can't rely on Zach Eady every game. And then not to mention, we've talked about it before. You know, Eady is a great player. I do not want to bring him down, but he's not, you know, the most agile guy. He doesn't, you know, make them better defensively necessarily. They kind of have to hide him. So I think they're just they're a very limited team. In particular matchups, they're going to be very, very dominant. But against other teams like an in Indiana who can kind of match up with Edie a little bit better down low and spread them out a little bit, they're going to struggle. No, I'm completely with you. Um, there are teams out there, and when we see that bracket revealed, there are teams out there that have strong guard play, like an NC State or whoever, that's going to give them problems. That's going to give them a lot of problems. Uh, four of six after being so dominant. And again, the blueprint is the same. Double Edie from different 
locations. Don't always do the same double team. Make him a weak side passer. Have your guys in position and cut the head off to the freshman backcourt and you can beat Purdue. Like it, and of course, you're going to have to hit shots like Indiana did with Jalen Hood-Strafino. But double Edie, make him a weak side passer, and then take care of the basketball. You can beat Purdue. Um, kind of concerning. But let's and move on to it. Go ahead. I would add in if if Purdue, you know, if they keep slipping, because, you know, they're definitely down to the two seed line now, I would think. And if they end up, you know, faltering a little bit more and end up at the three seed line, I wouldn't be shocked to see like a, a 14 seed shock them in the first round, a team that like really puts a lot of pressure on their guards. Like if you were to full court press them and just in their face, I think you could like cause a lot of havoc with Purdue. Hey, I hate to keep uh, being like a broken record here, but that Oral Roberts matchup would intrigue the hell out of me. Oh man, Connor Vanover against Edie to be able like Edie would still eat against Connor Vanover just because Vanover's not very strong. Edie would have his way, but like he would at least you know give him some problems with the length. I would think, and he can shoot the three, which all of a sudden changes Purdue's defense because Edie cannot step out there to guard him. That no, you're can't. right, Josh. That would be a very very intriguing matchup. Well, and they have a guard like like Hood Shafino. I know he's much smaller. But Max Abemus could get hot in a hurry. And you mentioned Edie could not play drop coverage on Vanover with his ability to shoot the ball. That would be interesting. That's for another topic if we get there. Peyton, it seems like you're back. Real quick, your thoughts on IU-Purdue, uh, all that. Yeah, so I had to take a little pit stop here. I had to uh, pick up some uh, house supplies here. I'm over here sweeping my room like IU swept any uh, Purdue this year. Uh, I'm just put that shit away for a minute. Uh, do it. Applause goes to Jalen Hutchfino. They don't win this game without him. And I mean that in the first half. First half, he had, what, 21, 23 points in the first half? Um, I think it was. And they were down um, They were down going into the second half. If he doesn't have the performance, he played great all game long. He had 35. He had 23 in the first half. If he doesn't play like he did in the first half, IU probably gets blurred out. I don't think IU wins this game. I don't think – they probably lose by double digits in this one. But he kept the storm calm. Um, a guy like Trey Galloway in the second half really got things going for them. Defensively, he's getting some steals. He's making some shots. Um, played very well. And uh, Zach Eady, he did what he did. And he did the same thing he did in the first matchup. I mean, he had 26 points. had 16 boards. He played well. Uh, the biggest difference from first half to second half, first half, Purdue led – because their backcourt played very well. Second half, they lost because their backcourt played like shit. Um, I still have concerns for them being the tournament team, and I'm going to bring this to you. I don't know if y'all talked about it or not. Does Purdue still get this one seed? Because I think UCLA is right there willing them in. I think, I think right now, based on body of work, they're still holding on. But if they lose another one at the end of the regular, or regular season or they get bounced before the finals in the Big Ten tournament, then I think they drop to a two-line. I think that, you know, as I mentioned when I brought up that potential, you know, matchup, if they get a 14, I think they're on the two line now, maybe. And, and if they falter down the stretch, could even fall to a three. I mean, you mentioned it, Josh. They've lost three of four, four of six. They're not going to win a, a share of the regular season Big Ten crown. Like, they're not worthy of a number one seed, in my personal opinion. And let's face it, their Big Ten draw has been very favorable. They're eight and zero against teams that are like mid to late pack. The only and the teams that's in the top five, they're only one and three, and the only ones against Maryland. And they haven't played Illinois yet. Illinois is right now fifth, and they got them final game of the season, which 
They could very well lose that one too in Mackey Arena. Um, they're one and three against Ken Palm top 30 teams in the country. Um, their backcourt just ain't it. I have concerns for them, especially tournament play. They need Fletcher Lawyer to hit like he did in November, December. If they're going to be good, they need Fletcher Lawyer to start shooting the ball better. Um, let's see, move. that's where I'm like, is the Fletcher Lawyer we're seeing now the real Fletcher Lawyer, or is it the guy we've seen in November, or is there going to be some mean that he finds? Because even if he's, you know, if he can just be average, they're a lot better. It's just him and Braden Smith have been, you know, relatively bad. No, and I'm right there with you, but let's go to a team that was real in a little bit and lost a couple in a row after being red hot. The get back right yesterday in the Big 12 Conference, and subsequently helped the Kansas Jayhawks probably go ahead and win the Big 12 regular season. Baylor 81, Texas 72. Um, Dylan DeSue for Texas had 24 points. He was outstanding this game. But it come down to Baylor. Keontae George only played six minutes, rolled his ankle, goes out. But it didn't matter in this game too much because Baylor got production elsewhere. Langston Love 11 points. Dale Bonner 13 points. Adam Flagler, 14. Jalen Bridges was the MVP of the game, 17 points. Peyton, the Big 12 Conference, it's a struggle every night. And for Baylor to get this win after losing a couple a couple in a row without their star freshman only playing six minutes, this is a huge confidence boost for Baylor. Absolutely it is. They were down 18-6 to start the game. Texas jumped them very early on. They were hitting shots, and you mentioned uh, Keontae George rolled his ankle and was out for the rest of the game, only played six minutes. But the guys, I mean, Dale Bonner came off the bench, like you mentioned. He had 13 points, four six from the field, four assists. Like he, I thought he played very well. Langston Love did what he did, 11 points. Uh, JTT obviously had five points, doesn't really st- uh, does a stat sheet enough. Or stuff the stat sheet, but he does enough to help them win the game. And uh, the backcourt was just too much for them. Flagler had 14. Even though Cryer was held to nine points, he was still as effective. And as a team, uh, Baylor shot 9 of 19 from the three-point line, which is 47%. They out-rebounded Texas. And uh, I was hoping Baylor to win this game because, like you alluded to, since Baylor won and Kansas uh, beat West Virginia, Kansas is now in sole position uh, first place in the Big 12 Conference. And that's good news for me. Um, but Texas, they had a chance to win this game. They just could not pull in, couldn't put enough stops left. Um, and Baylor, hats off to them. And to win this game without Keontae George against this red-hot Texas team, that says a lot about how good this Baylor team can be, can be going forward. Yeah, Jalen Bridge is kind of the forgotten man for this Baylor team. You know, he averages close to 10 points a game, but we talk so much about LJ Cryer, Adam Flagler, George, even Flo Thamba. Um, yeah, Bridges gets forgotten about it as a guy who can really go off at any time. And then Flo Thamba goes for 12 and 12, big double-double. Baylor just, they have a good amount of depth. Uh, and I've been just spouting it off. I think even with the loss at Kansas last week, I still think Baylor is a favorite for the national title right now. I'm right there with you. Um, let's hope. I haven't heard any updates as of right now on Keontae George's status, what's going on with the ankle. Let's hope it's something minor and he is back for the Big 12 tournament at least. But no, it's it sealed up, I would think, the the regular season for Kansas. So you still got to play Texas, but we'll get to that. Let's move on to another team that just shared another WCC title last night. They jumped St. Mary's early. They held on often. And... Gonzaga beat St. Mary's to extract some revenge from three weeks ago, 77-68. 
This was another big time performance from Gonzaga. It kind of spread to well. Timmy had 19 in this game, 19, six and one assist. The guy of the game though, was Anton Watson, 17 points, eight rebounds, three assists, blocking shots, getting out and transition, making the right passes. He had four steals in this game. Gonzaga went to, to if you go back to that first matchup, St. Mary's plays one of the slower paces in college basketball, and they were able to carve Gonzaga up with their motion and action in the half court. Gonzaga, a lot of credit to them and Mark Few. They said, this shit ain't happening. They went to a one-two-two three-quarter court press, and St. Mary's acted like they did not know what to do because they were throwing the ball all over the court. They ended up with only 11 turnovers, but most of them came in the first half. Gonzaga in firm control from the whole way of this game led the whole way. So I want to ask you, Gonzaga splits another share of the WCC with St. Mary's. They end up getting the one seed in the conference tournament. What do we think of Gonzaga? We know that they give up a lot of points defensively, but they score a lot. So what are we making of Gonzaga? They head into the WCC tournament this upcoming week, 25 and five, 14 and two in conference. We don't talk about them like we have in the last couple of years. So, Phil, what do we make of Gonzaga? I mean, I'm the resident Gonzaga defender. I still think I feel not quite as strongly about them as I did before the season, but they're rounding into form. You know, Malachi Smith starting to play better basketball. Julian Strother's coming on strong lately. Drew Timmy is Drew Timmy. You mentioned Anton Watson has a big game. I mean, we could go down the list. They have the weapons. And I think being under the radar is kind of an advantage for them. They're probably going to be looking at like, what, a three or a four seed, we're guessing. I I can see Gonzaga making a final four run. I mean, again, I mentioned it. It's the cliche. Nobody wants to see them in the tournament. But like, if you're a number one seed, do you really want to, you know, have your bracket revealed and have Gonzaga as the three? No, and Peyton, how about this? And I forget the exact number, but it's something like eight years in a row now. Gonzaga has won 25 games. For like, I forget the exact number, what they said on the broadcast last night, but it's like eight years in a row that they've won 25 games. That is insane. Yeah, that's an that's an impressive stat. Um, as far as the Gonzaga team, what do we make of them? Uh, offensively, the number one team in the country according to Ken Palm. Defensively, they're still like 88th. Uh, I'm not, even though they held um, St. Mary's under 70 points or 68 points, it's not like St. Mary's is this offensive firepower team. Um, they went 40th in offense. They're more uh, bound on defense than they are on the offensive side of the ball. Um, it's the first time they've held a team under 70 points since like a couple weeks ago when they played a little way mayor mount and they were ranked uh, they uh had 65 points in that game but they gave up too much like 80 point games this year uh defense they ain't their strong suit offense for the great and they got the talent to make the final four i agree with phil i think talent wise i think they can do it uh drew timmy's great he had another good game in this one but defensively i just it's going to worry me if they play a team that's really bound on offense and can get some stops like i did the defense i, I still ain't sold on it yeah, I'm not sold on their defense either, and, and there are bad matchups out there in the tournament for them. Um, it, they do have a win over Alabama and Alabama, though. So it's not like they can't play with these high-tempo, electric-type teams, but there are bad matchups in the tournament. But 
again, a lot of credit. I think this is uh, 12 years in a row now, 11 or 12 years in a row, that they've at least shared a piece of the WCC. They dominate that conference. And uh, if you're St. Mary's, man, you better figure out how to play against a one, two, two, three quarter because if I'm other teams in the conference when it comes to the tournament, I, I'm throwing it right at you and see if you can handle it. I, I know not everybody in that conference is as talented as Gonzaga is, but I, I'm throwing it at them to see what happens. Hey, let's rapid fire some other games real quick. Let's talk about North Carolina. They saved their season for now this week. By beating Notre Dame, we talked about it on Thursday for a minute, where ugly game, they had like 19 points at halftime, but they win. That's the most important thing right now for North Carolina. They win. Then Saturday, they get their first quad one victory of the season by beating Virginia 71-63. Phil, this is in your backyard. Still not enough for, I think, all of us to put North Carolina in the tournament. But the nothing less, it saved their season for now. Talk to me about North Carolina's win. And subsequently, Virginia does not look good right now. No. You know, we've I've mentioned a lot of teams rounding into form. I would say Virginia is the opposite of that. You know, even aside from the last two losses in a row, struggled in the wins before that. I think they beat uh, – Georgia Tech by two, Louisville by three. I mean, they they had some really tough performances in there. You mentioned it. UNC's season isn't over just by virtue of the fact that we had sort of thought if they would win out that they could potentially get in um, in the regular season and then maybe go to the semifinals, the ACC tournament. So they're still alive, but, you know, going from 0-9 and in quad one games to 1-9 and is not a huge significant jump in my opinion. And I think some weight does have to be put into how Virginia is playing right now. So North Carolina is still on the outside looking in, which I am perfectly fine about. And, you know, they, they have another matchup with Duke at the end of the season. That'll be a uh, should be a quad one, I would think. If yeah, not yeah, Duke, a quad Duke's, one, then a quad he, two. But I think I, I think Duke's hovering right around yeah, Duke, 30. And net. Duke at Carolina should be a quad one. Yeah. 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 Well, so, let, let me look. Peyton, I want to hear your um, thoughts. I'm going to look up Duke's net ranking real quick. Um, I mean, hats off to North Carolina. They beat Virginia. They did what they're supposed to. They sh- they needed to win this game, and they got it done in Chapel Hill. Looked pretty impressive doing that. Virginia struggled. They jumped them out early. I think they were up like what 14 points or 13 points in the uh, halftime, going to the second half. Um, and they end up getting the job done. But if anyone thinks, especially North Carolina fans, North Carolina fans, if anyone thinks that this alone is going to get them in the tournament, you are dead wrong on this. If they don't beat Duke. If they don't beat Duke Saturday, March 4th, last game of the regular season, then there's no chance in hell they get in. And if they do, then it's complete bullshit. Well, Duke's up to 25th on today's net ranking update. So it would make it a quad one for North Carolina. Gives them a real opportunity to get another one. Um, Carolina's got to keep winning. Like, it it doesn't matter how pretty it is right now, but for Carolina's season, they've got to keep winning. And Peyton, Virginia, they are struggling. Like, it is struggle bus city for Virginia. And if they can't figure out a consistent offense, like their defense, again, they still, North Carolina only scored 71. But if they can't figure out the defensive end here, I mean, sorry, the offensive end, Virginia is is a first-round loss. Like, they're projected as like a four or five seed. That is a upset waiting to happen for a 12 or 13 right now. 
I mean, they're a fraudulent team. This isn't the same team that we saw in Las Vegas in the main event tournament where they was beating Baylor and beat Illinois. Like, this isn't the same team. Like, offensively, um, they're just, it's just not it. And they very well could be – they could be on a five-game losing streak right now. The Duke game, they should have lost. Um, the, ref gift them, the refs gifted them uh, that one. The Louisville win, uh, very well could have lost that. Only won that game by three points. And they could have lost the Notre Dame game uh, last Saturday. They only won by two points in that. That could have been five losses. As well, then you go play Clemson this Tuesday, and you get the final matchup of the regular season against Louisville um, in Virginia. Like they very well could be on a five-game losing streak right now. Um, yeah, they're a fraudulent team, and I don't know how they're going to get it done to March if they can't find a way to score the ball. I, 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 if they don't figure it out between now and the ACC tournament, I, I'll just go ahead and say here before we even do our tournament special, wherever Virginia's at, whether it be a four, five, or six, I've got them going out in the first round. I, I just I don't trust them. Not unless they can figure out some offensive consistency. Well, and you mentioned – you guys both mentioned the offense, which has clearly, clearly been the issue. But then, like, I watched that entire Boston College game. They were outcoached in that game defensively as well. I mean, Boston College drew up some very easy looks that you would not normally see Virginia give up. So they're like – they're they've been really good defensively, but I don't even know that they're the elite defensive team we've seen in the past. Yeah, there's some issues, but if you're North Carolina, like I mentioned to Peyton, just keep winning. Doesn't matter how pretty. You want to save your season being the NCAA tournament? Find ways to win, and credit to them this last week. They've done that twice. Um, let's rapid fire some other results. Let's stay in the ACC just because we talked about the theme today has been we're basically in March. Miami, Peyton, Miami hits a – or sorry, not Miami. Florida State hits a buzzer beater on Miami. Crazy ending. Miami hits a corner three from, I think it was Jordan Walker. Hits Jordan a three. Miller. Jordan Miller. Hits a three in the corner with like four seconds to go. Florida State speed dribbles down the floor. Matthew Cleveland from the top of the key. Double order onions, baby. Florida State with the upset over Miami. What craziness in the ACC and around college basketball yesterday. Yep, Jordan Miller hits the corner three. They go up, and then Matthew Cleveland just hits a game winner, like 30-40, and just takes the air out of the building. They win this game. And the funny thing is about this one is Florida State was down, like, 17 points or something. They was down by double digits. 25. 25, yeah. Yeah, they were down for the majority of that game and came back to hit a game winner. That's impressive. And guess what? That's North Carolina's next game. They go at Florida State, and I don't think they're winning that one Monday. So, Florida State's starting to play well. Majority of the wins is coming in conference play. Um, but, yeah, what a game. Well, what a finish to that one. That was crazy. Phil, did you have something on that one? Yeah. You know, Peyton pretty much covered it. You know, I wanted to just uh, mention that they were down 25 in this game, and Miami kind of took their feet off the gas a little bit. And uh, Miami just struggles a little bit when Isaiah Wong isn't their, you know, best player, which he he had 14 today. He wasn't bad by any means, but they need him to be the best player on the floor when they're at their best. No, I completely agree. Um, rapid fire a couple more real quick. Clemson, coming off the, the bad loss of Louisville, they went two this week, Syracuse, and they beat the dog crap out of NC State on the road, 96-71. Clemson kind of hanging around the bubble as well, Phil. Uh, do, do the Tigers get in? Do the Tigers get enough to get in? 
Oh, man. Hold on. Let me. Do you have your their remaining schedule up in front of you? Yeah, I do. They play Virginia Notre Dame. Got to get the Virginia win very clearly. But if if they had two quad ones left on their schedule that they could steal, I would say yes. I think even with a win against Virginia, the way Virginia is playing right now, that might not be enough. So I'm going to say no. Then other one real quick. Uh, Kentucky continues their hot streak. Four wins in a row now. Absolutely for the first time since like December. Obliterates a team. Beats Auburn 86-54. The Cats are getting better. Phil, on your uh, your first Bracketology show Friday night on Twitter Spaces, which you can hear the podcast now. It's up on the ECB um, channel on Spotify or wherever you get podcasts at. You, we talked a little bit about Kentucky, but they're starting to roll now. Again, would not want to be a one or two seed, whoever has to see them potentially in the second round. Cats are figuring this thing out. Jacob Toppin is rounding into form. Oscar Shibway, another big game, 22 and 17. Kaysan Wallace, you get CJ Frederick back. The Cats are playing better. And I don't know if there's too many teams that's more dangerous in the country than them right now. Now, Cats are one of those teams where if, if they're the uh, eight seed and you're a one, you're just praying that the nine seed knocks them off. You know, you're just praying that somebody gets them before they get hot. Um, I mentioned they're like Carolina last year. Had had Carolina gotten knocked off in a close game in the 8-9 game last year, they you know could have gone down to Marquette. I, I believe it was Marquette in that game, right? Yeah. Am I crazy? No, no, okay. yeah. They, okay. they, they, they um, beat up Marquette. But yeah, so – yeah, so I think, um, yeah, I very I agree with you. And honestly, like, would it shock you to see them go on a run and win the SEC tournament now? Alabama's not. Alabama's not bad by any means, but Alabama has a loss now in SEC tournament play and sort of has a controversy around them. Focus maybe not totally on the court. Tennessee's been struggling. Like, Kentucky could very easily come through and steal this SEC tournament. And I know, like, none of us are bracketologists, but – if they were to do that, what are what seed do we think they're looking at? Uh, like, like I said, because I like think I, if they win the SEC tournament, could they get up to like a five or a six? Well, like I said on your show the other night, um, I think Kentucky can get a six. I don't know if a five, maybe, but they win the SEC tournament. That's going to add more quad ones and it'd put them up to like eight or nine on the year. That's a that's a strong case for a five resume. Um, their SEC tournament, they're going to be the three seed. Regardless if they lose to Arkansas or not, they're pretty much going to be the three seed, which puts them at the bottom part of the SEC bracket in Nashville. And by the way, Nashville is going to be overrun with Kentucky fans. It always is. But um, it, it's they're going to be in the bottom part. And so they'll play on Friday. So their three games could potentially look something like they'll play Missouri, then they'll play Tennessee or sorry, Texas A&M and then Alabama. That's three quad ones right there. And I think they can beat Missouri, get the revenge. I think they can beat Texas A&M for a second time. Then you get to Sunday against Alabama. They're struggling. They're not really – they're winning, but they're not playing as well as they were. Who knows what the hell happens in that one. But, yeah, I'm with you. I wouldn't put another run possibility, Peyton, that Kentucky goes on a run and wins the SEC tournament. I said it after the first – Real quick, I want to ask both of you. Go ahead, Phil. I just wanted to ask both of you guys like a sort of tournament question regarding Kentucky and all these. We've talked about Kentucky. Um, you talked about a few teams seated low, Duke seated lower than five. There, like, how many teams y'all think seated lower than five could potentially make the final four? 
Oh, um, Kentucky Duke. Because we have some really good basketball teams that are going to be seated lower than five. I, I don't know. The way this season's going, I would say at least eight. Eight different teams. Yeah, around that margin. But I'd anyways, to, anyways on to, Kentucky, I uh, said after the first matchup, after they beat uh, Tennessee and Thompson Bowling Arena, this team still has the talent to get to the Final Four, and it would not completely shock me if they go on not to only win the SEC tournament this year, but also to make a, a type of run where they could go to the Final Four. It would not shock me at all. Not me either, because they found out definitive roles. They're hitting shots. They go 8 of 13 from the three-point line yesterday. Antonio Reeves, just outstanding. They're getting better. Again, would not want to play them, which is crazy to say 14 days ago, because we were talking about them not even being in the tournament after a loss to Georgia. We we lambast Cal all the time. Got to give him a lot of credit for this turnaround. Good stuff from Kentucky here. Um we're going to take one commercial break real quick. We're coming back. We got some previews. And then I want to talk to you just real quick about some teams in the same vein of, you know, potential upset bid stealers, teams to watch out for, all that and more. We're going to take one commercial break, and we'll be right back with all that and more. You're listening to episode 141 of the Everything College Basketball Podcast. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh here, and I'm here to let you know that we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they are here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download their app, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off of your first purchase. What's going on, everybody? This is Will Tondo, the co-founder of House Enterprise, and I'm happy to announce that the Everything College Basketball podcast is now part of the House of College Hoops Network. We're really excited to bring you some premier college basketball content this season, so check out the website www.house-enterprise.com for all of our content creators, all of our college hoop stuff, and we're excited to get this season rolling. What's going on, everybody? This is Conrad here from Everything Pro Wrestling, here to let you know that Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans, for the fans. Every Monday, we are live at 6.05 Eastern Standard Time with Clash of the Podcast, where you can listen to myself and my tag team partner, Sean Hubbard of Hubbard Wrestling Weekly, talk all the latest and greatest in pro wrestling. You might even find an old school topic or two as well mixed in. And every Wednesday, we go live on YouTube once again with AEW Dynamite post-show coverage. So at 10.05, head on over to the Everything Pro Wrestling channel and talk what we just saw on Dynamite with us. And did I mention that we are on all available audio platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Thank you so much for listening to me. And let's get back to everything college basketball. Shout out to our guy, Conrad, over at Everything Pro Wrestling. It's WrestleMania season, ladies and gentlemen. Go to Everything Pro Wrestling on the Facebook and the Twitter to find out all your information. It is going to be a fun time of the year. Shout out to our guys over at House Enterprise and House College Hoops. Glad to be a part of that brand this year. And also use the SeatGeek code for $20 off your first purchase on the SeatGeek app. Um, Fellas, what I wanted to say real quick, though, is our team of the week this last week, deservedly so, is Villanova. Two big-time wins this week. 
And then the mid-major team of the week, got to show some love to Kennesaw State. One win last year. They're now the one seed in the A-Sun Conference. They've won 13 of their last 16. But let's go back to Villanova. We mentioned it a couple shows back when we talked about bid stealers. Villanova is getting hot at the right time. Caleb Daniels, Justin Moore, they've got a healthy Cam Whitmore. This is a dangerous Villanova team. So I want to ask you guys, I'm of the belief that they're going to go to Madison Square Garden next week and win the Big East tournament and take a bid. How dangerous is a team like Villanova right now? They're extremely dangerous. They've won five of the last six games with the only loss being at Providence uh, at the Amp, which, you know, no one's won there. Um, they're like 30 and 31 and 1 at the Amp uh, in these last couple of years. Incredible stat for them. So, but they got four guys um, who played on the team last year who were starters from the Final Four team. They're all back. Eric Dixon's back. Caleb Daniels is playing well. And then you just add a top 15 recruit and Caleb Wentmore um, to that equation. And they just, they got a starting five that can compete with any starting five, not only in the Big East, but maybe in the country. And I agree with you. When it comes to the Big East tournament and MSG, it's going to be really tough for me to not go with Villanova to win that thing. Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. And, you know, it, this winning streak or the five out of the last six that they won or whatever it is kind of coincides with Justin Moore. Really, he returned before that, but he's returned to the player that he has been in the past now. And and that's just given them a whole nother element in the backcourt as well. You know, we all picked Villanova as a potential Big East favorite going into the season. I think they're starting to look that part now. And again, a team I would not be shocked to see make a deep Final Four run. Yeah, and they are playing as well as anybody in the country. They are lethal right now. And again, I think that they might just go to Madison Square Garden because their only path, I think, to a, a tournament bid is winning the tournament. And I think the way the Big East is set up this year with the craziness, I think Villanova is going to win that damn thing. They beat up Creighton last night, jumped them early and often, and I, I just don't know if you want to play the Wildcats because they're healthy and they figure things out. What a team performance. Um, Villanova is our team of the week. And some love real quick to Kennesaw State, as I mentioned. One win last year. They're now the, they've won the A Sun regular season. They're their number one seed. What a special turnaround from Kennesaw State. And this is a team that's a, they're going to have to really work hard in the A Sun because you still got Liberty. You got our guys at Bellarmine. But what a what a special moment that would be if they can get into the NCAA tournament and one of the best turnarounds in college basketball history. Period. Um, let's do some previews real quick. Looking ahead to this slate. This is the final week of the regular season. So let's start on Super Tuesday with a pair of games. You've got Arkansas at number 18, Tennessee. Tennessee's struggling. I don't trust their offense. We haven't all year, basically. They still got the best defense in college basketball, according to analytics. But Arkansas is another one of those teams in the same vein as Kentucky, as Villanova, as Duke. They're one of these teams that are putting the pieces together, despite the loss to Alabama yesterday. They led at halftime. They gave the Crimson Tide all they wanted and more. So how are we feeling about this Super Tuesday clash with SEC seeding on the line as well? Arkansas at Tennessee. Peyton, I'll let you take the floor first. I don't like this matchup. I like the way Arkansas has been playing here since uh, Nick Smith came back. And this is time of the month where Eric Musselman gets his team rolling uh, to head into March. Um, 
but Tennessee, man, it's in their home building. It's going to be senior night for them, and it's going to be a big night for them. And I think they're going to hold home court. But, hell, you know, even if they lose this game, they'll probably go up two spots in the net ranking. So it really don't even fucking matter anymore because the net ranking the net rankings, the system of it just, just ridiculous. But Tennessee, I think they hold home court. It's going to be low scoring. I think I like Ken Fox's prediction, 70 to 63 Tennessee wins. I don't like this matchup for Tennessee at all, even though they're at home. They just haven't been playing great basketball lately. You guys mentioned it. Arkansas has been a different team since Nick Smith has come back and just with him in the lineup in general. And I think Arkansas is a team that can defend, which is, you know, Tennessee wants to get in those defensive slugfests, but they have better shot makers than Tennessee does. So I think Arkansas takes a close one, 60 yeah, I'm with you. I'm glad you mentioned the defense of Arkansas because when you have Makai Mitchell blocking shots at the rim, you get a healthy Nick Smith back. This team is – they're loaded. They are who we thought they were going to be at the start of the year when we predicted them to win the conference. This team is playing better with a lot of confidence, and they can do it on both ends of the floor. I think Arkansas goes to Tennessee and puts a whooping on them. I think they're going to outscore them. They're going to lock them down in the paint. They're going to make Tennessee become three-point shooters, which we know is not a strong suit of theirs. And I think Arkansas jumps them early, holds on. I got the Razorbacks winning this one, 81-68. I just do not trust Tennessee, and I think Arkansas is a team that's on the rise. And, Phil, like we mentioned with Kentucky, if you're Arkansas and you get as an 8-9 seed and you're a 1 seed, let's say it's a Purdue as a 1, and you got to play Arkansas second round, that is a scary matchup. Oh, for sure. For sure. Now, I don't – I would have to look at the projections. Are they projected that low right now? Because I, I was thinking of them as more like a six or a seven, which still um, puts them in the line with a two. But I think the latest Lenardi bracket had them as an eight seed, I think. I'd have to go back and look, but I think it's an eight. Wow. Gosh, man, this – this is, you know, we've talked about it all year, but just as as we get into March Madness and once the bracket comes out, there are going to be teams that we look at all down those six, seven, eight, even nine probably lines that were just like, holy shit, like these, this tournament is loaded. No, we're set up for one of the craziest tournaments and maybe ever, but definitely in recent history. Also on Super Tuesday, Phil, in your backyard, you got number 24 North Carolina State paying a visit to Cameron Indoor Stadium to play Duke. Uh, your thoughts and feelings on this, because you know how much we love North Carolina State, but Duke's also another one of those teams that are getting better and could make a deep run if they can completely figure this thing out. Um, thoughts on Carolina State at Duke? Duke looking to avenge one of their worst losses in ACC conference history. Um, you know, NC State put an absolute ass whooping on them at PNC Arena earlier this year. And I think home court makes a huge difference. You know, Duke is undefeated at home, looking to finish undefeated at home. It's going to be an emotional night with they don't, they don't have a ton of seniors, obviously, but I'm assuming you'll probably still see Derek Lively, Derek Whitehead, some of those guys. Uh, partake in in the festivities a little bit. So I think Duke takes this one just purely on home court advantage, but it is going to be a fantastic game. Really looking to see how these backcourts match up with each other. Jarkel Joyner and Turk Smith against uh, Tyrese Proctor and Jeremy Roach should be an absolute treat. Um, but I take Duke 80 to 75. Peyton? 
this is going to be completely contradicting of what I said and the whole police season, um, the police season on magazine and just everything and from what I've seen in the regular season that I think this Duke team has the talent, has the highest ceiling to ACC to get to a Final Four this year. I think they got the talent. As, as long as they stay healthy and they can hit some shots defensively, they're pretty damn fucking good. Um, I think they can get out and defend. They're versatile. They got two bigs and uh, Filipowski and Lively can get out and defend. Um, I think Duke wins this one. They avenge that loss, and I think they win by a dozen. I think they win by 12 points. I love watching Tyrese Proctor play. I hope this kid comes back because I think he would flourish if he came back for another year at Duke. I don't know if he's projecting in any uh, mock drafts or big boards or anything like that, but I'm a big fan of Tyrese Proctor. I think, speaking of that, he's he's one of the elite on-ball defenders in the nation. He was... Yeah. No, I, I'm, we're going to go with the Duke sweep here because I, I just like the way the Blue Devils are playing. I uh, love North Carolina State as well, but they got their ass whooped by Clemson, so is there going to be motivation or is there going to derail them a little bit? I'm going Duke in a close one. I think Duke wins 79-76. Fun game. Duke's getting better. Let's go to Wednesday. Back in the Big East Conference, Xavier playing on the road to Providence here. Um, Peyton, can somebody finally go into the amp and get the win here? I mean, I, th I think any team's going to do it in the Big East. I think Xavier's going to be able to do it. They can get out and defend a little bit, but the offensive firepower is like top 10 team in the country, according to Ken Palm, offens offensively-wise. But I don't think they're going to do it. No team's going to go in the amp this year and uh, beat them. Um, I think they'll hold home court. Providence is going to get the job done. Um, I think about, I'll say 78 to 73, a close one. Providence wins. I agree. Providence with the uh, home court advantage. Also, Xavier just a little beat up with injuries. Zach Freeman will still out. So I take Providence in this one. 71. Yeah, I will go with a sweep as well. Now, I think Providence's defense is pretty good. Pretty good. I don't know if it's elite yet, but pretty good. They've got Devin Carter, one of the best individual defenders in the country. So I, I say Providence continues their their home advantage and wins this game. If Xavier was fully healthy, I, I might think different. But no Zach Fremantle, no party in this one. Providence uh, slows the game down to their tempo, wins this game 69-62. I like Providence. The final regular season game for the early midweek, number eight Texas at TCU on Wednesday night. I'll go first here, TCU. Playing a little better with Mike Miles back. We know how dangerous they can be, but I think Texas is going to be super upset after the, the loss to Baylor yesterday afternoon. And Texas still has an opportunity to at least share the Big 12 regular season because they have the game with Kansas. Can't drop this one. Texas comes in motivated, gets the road victory to set up a massive matchup. Winner takes all on Saturday with Kansas. I've got Texas dominating this game winning 75 to 59. I think Texas puts a clinic on here. Yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, at this point, Rodney Terry is kind of coaching for his job. I think he needs to get a share of that regular season title to be under consideration. So Texas wins this one with big time motivation to set up, like you said, that huge matchup on Saturday. I like Texas 88 
like you guys said, Texas needs really needs to win this game because the fun funny thing about this one is this game is played on a Wednesday and Kansas plays on the Tuesday game against Texas Tech. And if Kansas beats Texas Tech, like I figured, like I think they're going to do, then Kansas definitely clinches at least a share of the Big 12 regular season title. And if Kansas if Texas loses against TCU, then it doesn't matter what happens in that last game of the regular season, Kansas will win it, the Big 12 regular season title outright. So Texas needs to win this game. I don't think it's going to happen though. TCU is going to hold home court. Damian Ball and Mike Miles are going to have a good game. Uh, TCU holds home court. 69 to 65. TCU wins. And then, and then real quick, uh, this week starts conference tournament play for a handful of conferences around the country. We're not going to go through the whole conference bracket because we got the midweek show. We can review some stuff and talk further. But real quick, look at the Northeastern Conference. It starts on Tuesday, I think. March 1st is Tuesday, right? Wednesday, maybe. I, I forgot. I don't have, but it starts this early week. You got Merrimack as the favorite. Cannot be NCAA tournament eligible since they're still making the transition. They're the one seed. They're playing Long Island. You you just look at that bracket. Who wins? I shouldn't say it because I said we'd hold off. But anything in those first round games, I, I've got the bracket here. Merrimack, Long Island. You've got um, Stonehill and Wagner. You got St. Francis, Pennsylvania against Central. Connecticut, Fairleigh Dickinson against South Alabama, I think is who that is. Or no, Stephen France or S St. Francis, New York. Damn, if I could speak. Anything out of that stands out? Do you think it holds chalk, basically? Um, any upsets in that on the first day? Uh, first day, no. I don't think there's going to be too many upsets on that one. Um, but I do think Fairleigh Dickinson and uh, Mary Mass going to be the title game, though. Yeah, I'm with Peyton. I think it pretty much holds chalk. And, uh, you know, Merrimack has been not dominant at conference, but they've been pretty damn good. So it wouldn't surprise me to see them make another run. We also got the OVC starting on, We also got the OVC starting on Wednesday. You've got Southeastern Missouri against Lindenwood and SIU Edwardsville against Southern Indiana. Not the greatest slate of games, but um, something to watch out for, basically. And that's kind of the theme of these conference tournaments until we get into when we talk Thursday in the midweek episode, we're going to be able to see results of this. And then most of these tournaments are going to be down to like a quarterfinal, final four. We could really break them down more. Um, the the Patriot League also starts on Tuesday. You got Loyola, Maryland against Holy Cross, American against Bucknell. Colgate's the one seed in that. But basically, we got conference tournaments. It is champ week. Phil, you and I talked in week one of the Jerome here. Anything from those uh, early champ week games where we're finally getting bids punched this week to keep an eye out on? Any conference tournament that's starting this week that excites you? Kind of real quick, because I know you got to be leaving here. Just talk to us real quick about your champ week, week one predictions. Um. You know, we sort of talked about it earlier when we talked about Kennesaw State as our mid-major team of the week, but the A-Sun is probably the tournament I'm most excited for that's starting early this week. Just you have Bellarmine, you have Liberty, you have Kennesaw State. I think you have uh, Jacksonville or Jacksonville State. One of those two teams is pretty decent. I always get the two of them mixed up. So you have some teams in there that can definitely be competitive and steal the tournament. And then I just I love watching Darius McGee. So anytime I get a chance to watch him play, gonna do that so yeah the uh the a sun definitely the one i'm most excited for starting early on this week 
Uh, I think it starts later on this week, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but the CAA, big CAA guy, Hofstra, just stole the number one seed. That's a that's a three-horse race to keep an eye out for one bid, more than likely. Hofstra, Towson, Charleston, and even UNC Wilmington. That's a lot of fun to keep an eye out on. Um, Phil, I know you got to go, but here's my bank on it. We talked about the Northeastern Conference starting this week. Said Merrimack is ineligible to be NCAA tournament, like our friends at Bellarmine were last year, which is bullshit. Go back in the archives, listen to the great, the great passionate plea from our guy Scotty Davenport, what he told the NCAA. Here's my bank on it, fellas. Merrimack wins the Northeastern Conference, but since they can't go, the runner-up gets their spot. The AQ coming out of the NEC this year is St. Francis, Pennsylvania. They're second in the conference in offense. They can put up numbers. I think Merrimack wins, beats St. Francis, PA, but the automatic qualifier from the NEC is St. Francis, PA. What do you think about that, Peyton? Um, I think it's interesting. You know, it's definitely a intriguing thought. A very interesting bank on it. But Phil, I want to. I'm curious. What's your bank on it for this week? My bank on it. I'm sticking with my guy Darius McGee and the A Sun, like I just talked about. Uh, bank on it. Liberty holds you know holds court and makes the run through the a sun tournament this year they got knocked off last year i believe and didn't uh didn't make it to the ncaa's so they're able to get get it there this year and shout out to richie mckay man he's done a great job at liberty i think they had like five 20 win history or 20 win seasons in the history of the school before he got there and now they've had eight in a row um Absolutely. Phil, I know you got other obligations you got to go take care of. We'll be wrapping this up here in a second. But uh, Phil, we appreciate it. By the way, guys, this Friday, he's going to do it. He did it this last Friday. He's doing it every Friday leading up to Selection Sunday. Catch Phil along with a host of other bracketologists, friend of the ECB show and poll voter Dan Vasa, along with many other bracketologists that are experts in this business. Friday night on Twitter Spaces, 8 p.m., the best bracketology show you're going to find. Make sure you set an alarm. Tune in for it. Phil did a tremendous job. You can go back and listen to last Friday's episode. It is, like I mentioned, up on Spotify and wherever you find your podcast feed at for everything college basketball. But, Phil, go do what you got to do, my friend, and we will talk to you Thursday because we're going to have a lot to talk about with these conference tournaments and Champ Week, the games we just talked about. But, uh well, I guess we'll talk to you Thursday, my friend. Don't know if he said something there. It didn't come through on my end, but uh, great bracketology show, Peyton. But let's start rounding this episode out of uh, the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 141. Um, did you give a bank on it? I don't I don't recall you no. giving a bank on it. No. Well, let's hear uh. it then. My bank on it is that Colgate, and it's not too, I guess it's not really out there because they're expected to win. They are the one seed in this uh, conference tournament, but the Patriot League, I think Colgate um, wins the conference, wins the conference tournament. Do they lead the country in three-point percentage? They shoot 40.7% from the three-point line. Absolute get buckets. They are definitely, I don't know whether um, projected like seeding-wise, but I definitely can see them upsetting someone in the tournament in the first round and could potentially make a Sweetly seed type of run. Maybe they could be the new St. Peter's this year. We'll find out. But I like this Colgate team. They got a couple of dudes on there. Uh, they actually got a Braden Smith of their own. Um, 
It's not the Bladen Smith from Purdue. They got another one, which is pretty funny. You can get buckets. They got Tucker Richardson, who's averaging like 15 a game for them. They got some dudes on this roster, and they haven't. They, the last time they lost the game was Saturday, February 4th against American, and that was at third place. And the last time they lost after that was December 22nd. So they've only lost like, lost like two games in the span of like two months. So hats off to them. They're getting buckets right now, and they're playing very well. So bank on it. Colgate wins the Patriot League. I like it. The one seed holds through. It's going to be interesting there. Um, let's start rounding this thing out, Peyton. We, we talked about bid stealers and teams to watch an eye out on outside of the other teams we've talked about. We we mentioned Kentucky and Duke and Arkansas and Villanova. Is there any other teams that kind of stand out? You look at some of the brackets and the bubble teams and what have you. Is there any other teams that the public should keep an eye out on when the selection Sunday rolls around? Well, the only chance this team has of making the tournament is they got to win the Big 12. But I still think, like, a team, if they do it, they got the talent and they got the coach, I think Texas Tech can make some noise in the tournament and steal a bid for the team if they win the conference tournament this year. I mean, they still got, they got Davion Hartman on the team, Kevin O'Banner. They, they got enough pieces that they, they can make a run. Um, the last two games they play at Kansas. I mentioned that earlier. They go at the Fog uh, Tuesday, February 28th, and then they finish out their – Last game of the regular season, March 4th, Saturday against Oklahoma State. Um, but we'll see how they are seeding-wise. They are like 5-11 and 11 in conference play. And they've won four of the last five games, including against teams like Kansas State and Texas. And they very well could have won that TCU game last night if TCU didn't have to go to the free throw line to win it. Um, Texas Tech's my team, though, to watch out for. But they got to win the conference tournament. Yeah, we talked about it. And if they got in, that would make nine of the Big 12's 10 teams would get in the NCAA tournament. Nine of 10, 90% of your league would get in the NCAA tournament. The only team being Oklahoma would be left out more than likely. That is insane. We haven't seen anything like this since the old Big East when they put 11 teams of their 16 in. Nine of your 10 teams, if Texas Tech could make a run. Um, that would be insane, and they'd be the AQ, which means they wouldn't have to play a first four game. That would be absolutely insane. I'm going to go back to the Big Ten. We've talked about it. I still think Michigan State's dangerous as all hell. You look at the Big Ten uh, standings right now. Purdue's got a one-game lead over Northwestern. Indiana is 11-7. and seven. Then you've got Maryland, Illinois, Michigan at 10-7. and seven. Iowa's 10-8. and eight. Michigan State's 9-8. and eight. That Big Ten tournament is going to be insane. Peyton, how many teams from the Big Ten do you think get in the tournament this year? I think eight or nine. I think they're projected to get nine right now in Lenardi's last break, but I think eight or nine is about the region for them. Penn State is on the bubble. I think they're a first four or a next four team out. They're 17, 11, eight and nine in conference. Didn't play a great non-con schedule, but they've got some big wins in conference play. 14th best offense in the country. Do you think Penn State could – what would Penn State have to do to get in the tournament? Uh, well, the last three games, they get Rutgers Sunday, then they go at Northwestern, and they get Maryland. Um, all pretty winnable games for them, especially the two ho- the home games against Rutgers and Maryland. If they can sneak out – if they can go into Northwestern and beat them, and uh, I think that could solidify them as a tournament team. But they got to win, at least go two and three in this final stretch and then maybe win a game in the Big Ten tournament, depending on who they play. But I think they could get in. I do, too, and I think they're one of those teams that would be a lot of fun, win or lose, because they shoot the three balls so well and shoot so many of them. 
39.2% from the three-point line, seventh best in the nation. They're second in the nation of the point distribution coming from the three-point line. 44.3% of their shots come from the three-point line. It's going to be interesting. Um, I can't believe we're already in champ week. I'm excited for all these tournaments, Peyton. It's it's the best time of year. This is by far the best time of the year. Um, but let's finish this thing out with shout-outs. Peyton, let's to hear your shout-outs first. Well, it's going to be simple for me. I only got one shout-out. And uh, as a shout-out to Michael Woodson, the coach from the Indiana Hoosiers. They swept, swept Purdue this year. I, did, I expected them to win, even though I picked against them in that first matchup in the Simon Hall. Wouldn't not have shocked me if they won, and they did. Kind of expected it a little bit. Did not expect them to go into Mackey Arena and beat them. Not the not into the magnitude that they did. I mean, they went in there and put up 79 points on this Purdue team. Uh, who's offensively has gotten better over, especially this year, from last year to this year. And uh, a shout-out to him because also I need to give him some a sort of an apology because if you go back – to three years ago when he got hired for this job. I no, kind of it, it, it wasn't that long ago. Two years it, ago? What was that? Two uh, years ago? Last year was his first year. So two years ago, pretty much? Uh, yeah, basically. Pretty much two years ago. Um, it's not been long ago. But when the, when he first got hired to Indiana, I did not like the hire, and I pretty much shitted on it because I thought Indiana deserved to – Go after someone bigger, uh, I guess you should say. And I was not a fan of it, but, man, I admit I was wrong on this one. Dude, he's been great. He has been great. And they have the talent. Once they get Xavier Johnson back, they got the talent to get to the final four. Defensively, they're great defensively. Offensively, they're starting getting better. And the fact that they won that game at Mackey Arena when TJD did not particularly play his best that he's been playing over the last month, Says a lot about how good this Indiana team can be. So I just want to give a shout out and an apology to Mike Woodson because you proved me wrong, dude. Hats off to you and shout out to Indiana. Josh? Right there with you. Right there with you. Uh, Yeah. Did I lag? Yeah, you did a little bit. Can you hear me Seems now? like you're back. Yeah, you're back. Okay, my bad. Okay, cool. Okay, I was trying to pull up Indiana's Bractology. I think it froze on me. Um, no, I'm with you. You know, he's restored the tradition of Indiana and made them a viable threat here. He's recruiting at a, a really good level. And they've got stars on their roster. I'm trying to pull up their Lenardi's latest Bractology from Friday because I think he has them as a five seed. Yeah, so their bracket right now it would be kind of tough because they would be a five in the Midwest region. They would play Oral Roberts round one, <laughs> but if they got by that, then you'd play a struggling Iowa state team, which would you be favored. And then you'd more than likely play Houston, not out of the realm of possibility of Indiana going to the final four. So good shout out there. Mine real quick, North Carolina, we've lambasted them. We've talked shit about them deservedly. So, but they needed two wins this week. They got two wins. Their season is still alive, not in the tournament yet. But they needed the wins. They got them. Shout out North Carolina. Shout out Clemson. Mention it. Lose an embarrassing loss to Louisville where they just completely got outplayed. Their season's on the line. They bounce back. They go to North Carolina State and just run rough shot over the Wolfpack 95-71. So Clemson's keeping their tournament hopes alive. Shout out to the Clemson Tigers. And then third, going into the SOCON, Mike Bothwell. 
in a game that determined the winner of the regular season, so Connor, at least first place, Furman against Samford, one verse two, Mike Bothwell, 35 points. Furman beats Samford. Love the SoCon. Furman, Mike Bothwell, huge shout outs. Uh, I can't believe conference tournament season's here. It seems like the season went just like that. But um, wrapping up episode 141 of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, when we come at you for the midweek edition on Thursday for episode 142, we will have some games to talk about from the conference tournament action. We will be able to preview and actually talk about who's going to win these early conference tournaments. Think about this. When we come to you on Thursday, we will be talking about who's going to have bids punch. And then next week, on next Sunday's edition, on episode 143, we will have a handful of teams locked in to this year's NCAA tournament. Exciting time. It's like we're kids on Christmas, and I cannot wait. But until episode 142 of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, where we get to talk about all that and more, maybe be joined by some special guests. We'll keep an eye out on that. But until episode 142, for Phil, for Peyton, I'm your host, Josh Burton. We hope you enjoy it. And get ready, baby, because Champ Week is upon us. We will see you guys down the road.